I'm Molly, and you're listening to Zetas Lapidus, a Mammoth Club original podcast. What up all you geniuses and hockey players, because those are the only two things that you can be in this film. I'm Alan. I'm Molly, but my alter ego is Mary Beth. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. I'm Max, and my alter ego is Matt. Well, shit, I don't have an alter ego. My Isn't Alan, Chaz just short for Charlie? I so, so he just called himself the same name, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and, my alter ego is Maxwell. Well, that, yeah, that's why that's why I went for Mary Beth because Molly. Wow, Alan really liked that. I yeah. did. Alan's he, laughing he harder really than liked it. Alan's laughing harder than the kids in class when that's someone true. delivers a lame joke. Oh god! That's right. I guess okay. No, I, Mary, is my, Mary oh. Molly is a form of Mary for some people, not for me, oh. but like in some people, Molly and Mary. So that's why I went for. I was Mary very confused about where it yeah. came from. Uh, okay, nice. is my alter ego Al then? Does yeah. it be Al? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That feels... I don't like that. Yeah. Al or Alan? <laughs> Al. Molly or Mary Beth? Yeah. Max and Maxwell. Got that's it. That's us. Make sure you yeah, us. That's us. And for those of you tuning in, this is Zetas Lapidus. This is a podcast where we watch all the Disney Channel original movies in chronological order and then spend far too much time analyzing them. This week, we watched Genius, which is... Oh, God. I mean, listen, it's not a... I'm, here's what I'm going to say. It's not a bad movie Is by it? any stretch of the imagination. In terms of the decoms that we have seen thus far, I'm I'm confident in saying it's not a bad movie. I'm not going to sit here and say it's the next Xenon. I don't think you hear anybody giving you a hard agree right now on your take, Alan, but I think right. we should I, get into it. Okay, so <laughs> let's dive in. The basic show info. Charlie Boyle finds that even his high IQ can't solve all of his problems when he takes on a double life in order to make friends his own age. We're glossing over some bits. It leaves out quite a bit. Yeah, he basically <laughs> doesn't get at any of the tension of the movie, but right. sure. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> this was released August 21st of 1999. Some of the uh, top song or the top song of the time was uh, Genie in a Bottle by oh, Christina Aguilera. In, in now. I'm a genie in a bottle. You gotta, gotta rub me the right way. If you wanna be with me, baby, uh, there's a price to uh, pay. Slay. Gotta uh, make a first impression. Mm, oh my mm. god, I loved Christina Aguilera, but my mom thought she was too sexy. Oh, well, I re- right. I mean, I remember well. this video being well sexy, not as sexy as some of her later videos. Dirty, but, if you yeah, will. dirty specifically mm-hmm. was the mm-hmm. one I was thinking of. But <laughs> of the rising female solo artists, I do think she had that like. Well, she was I'm, certainly edgier than Britney, right? At the time, although I, I mean, "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time" is yeah. like. A choice. Yeah, that specifically but, is what I'm thinking of. But Britney had, I mean, in that video, she had the schoolgirl thing. And then mm-hmm. in the other songs on that album were very, like, she wore, like, cute little workout outfits. Like, I don't know. She yeah, was very wholesome. much more wholesome compared to, you better rub me the right way. No, I agree. Oh. I agree. Genie in a Bottle was the, like, the sexy one of the, like, Genie Mandy Moore or uh, mm-hmm. uh, Brittany Mandy Moore, like exactly. that kind of group that yeah. came out. But this is, I mean, these are the That's women who raised me. So, oh, I, yeah. hey, I, I remember yeah. seeing these pop up on VH1 or you pop remember when video, you remember <laughs> when music. television played music videos? Yeah. Wasn't that yeah, crazy? It was, it was no. crazy. It was a different time. Uh, the top grossing film for this week was The Sixth Sense. 
Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, oh. starring Bruce Willis. One of the uh, that was an M Night Shyamalan, right? That was his. Yes, yeah. M Night Shyamalan. And yep, Shyamalan Ding Dong um, was one of the greatest plot twists that I think we've had in film for a long time. By the way, spoiler alert for all of you listeners who still haven't seen The Sixth Sense: Bruce Willis is dead. Is this a Sixth Sense pod now? It is a Sixth Sense pod. This is a Sixth Sense podcast. Hey, can we keep it to one Bruce Willis film a podcast, please? (laughs) (laughs) And this has been your Six Degrees of the Sixth Sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, before we get into some of the top news of the of the time, did either of you watch Genius as a kid? Hard no. I can't say I did. I I was searching my brain for familiarity while watching this, and it did not come. So here's a plot twist. I remember parts of this film vividly. So it it's almost as if this but, one. Yes, yeah. Genius. You didn't remember Xenon. I agree. Listen, <laughs> Smart it House. Is inexplicable. I no. I watched Thirteenth Year. I did not oh, watch Thirteenth okay. Year. Watch Smart. Did not watch Thirteenth Year. But here, it's almost as if the movie was on. And I just sort of like walked into walked into whatever living space had the movie on, and I was like, "That's weird," and then left. Like it, 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 I remember specifically like the dawning of the leather jacket scene. Like I remember specifically the the sunglasses scene. But that's like about it in terms of the length of the movie. Not like when I first saw um, Trevor Morgan, who plays Charlie Boyle. I was like, "That guy looks familiar," and I don't. It was one of those like echoes of memory. Like I don't know why he looks mm. familiar, but. I had some very brief moments in time, but I had no idea about the plot. So I guess the answer is no. I've not watched the movie in full until this this viewing. Some of the news of the time, the PGA Championship. There's a lot of sports news, so I had to like sort of pick and choose. Tiger Woods won his second major here. Oh. Good, go Tiger, go. So we're in like the, the Tiger Woods heyday. Yeah. he. I mean, this is early Tiger Woods, right? This is his only, only his second major. So he's just now sort of blasting onto the scene. He's gotten more than two. Yes. I'm just kidding. I don't know how many he's, he's gotten. gotten. several. Is it weird that, as we talk about this, I have like a distinct memory of being picked up from school, like elementary school and us talk, or middle school, and us talking about like Tiger Woods and his golf. Anyway, neither here nor there. And the second bit is that text messaging is being reported in a lot of newspaper articles that it is growing in popularity and people are worried that it's becoming a dominating form of communication in August of 99, which I think is just what a wild way to put us in a point in time. They better buckle up because soon you're going to see the phone ring and be appalled that someone had the audacity to call you on it's the phone true. instead of texting <laughs> it's you. It's true. Right? Like, exactly. Right now, I'm like, don't call if me. If someone calls me, I'm like, what's wrong? Right. Like, there's only The only reason to call me is if there's an emergency. So, yeah, those are some of the news and events of the time. Well, let's get into it. The movie picks up, and we are immediately introduced to, again, I'm going to sort of zoom out. We're introduced to Disney taking a new approach with the protagonists, where they're like, we have to make you like them as quickly as we possibly can. So we're going to give you a lot of, what I'm noticing, a lot of sort of flashing vignettes of the character and situations that are meant to endear you to them, which is, listen, I'm thankful for this turn because they were so bad at it for so long. So we have Charlie Boyle. Can I pause right there? Please do. The immediate first thing I thought of is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Because the one of the main characters named is Charles Boyle, so in my head canon, this guy grows up to be that cop. Continue. Would you say that as somebody that's not watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, would you say that that adds up? Does that character seem like this this character? Only in like looks and cringiness factor. <laughs> Certainly not intelligence, <laughs> but not intelligence at all. Charles Boyle is a wonderful, sweet, 
Angel on the show. He's Good hilarious. Cop. Great cop. Loves food. Loves his best friend, Jake. But he's not a super science genius. Got it. And we are set with Charlie in an ice rink. And there's some brief interactions with uh, Charlie's father. He's, you know, sort of skating on the ice, talking about him wanting to play hockey. And you, this is when you're like, okay, genius in hockey. We're introduced to the two main cornerstones of this film. Smart kid, and he likes hockey. And we're introduced to the dad-Charlie dynamic pretty quickly, where the dad is sort of the dumb dad archetype, and he and Charlie don't necessarily see eye to eye. And immediately, Charlie introduced a wild invention. Frankly, something that if he decided to sell it, he would be <laughs> very wealthy. Right. That is, well, one, when he debuts this invention, which, which by the way, does the job of the Zamboni, um, it, it would eliminate jobs, right? Like every Zamboni driver is now unemployed. Uh, they, they don't have any work. It would also be bought by every ice rink on earth. And I will say, um, I was curious if those science words that he said, which I, you know, I'm familiar with the words. I understand. I, I'm, I'm not a complete idiot. I know electrons <laughs> and, and whatnot. But I am curious if when you say those words in that in that order, if it actually means anything or if he if they just wrote a bunch of science words and hoped much like the dad in this scene, the audience is like, I don't fucking have any idea what that shit means. Dude, <laughs> I think the latter. I noticed that as well. Many times throughout this movie, they just say a lot of science words and hope that you're like, yep, they sound smart. It reminded me of in can of worms when Mike would just say computer words that actually right. didn't mean anything. <laughs> right. But I also noticed that. But these days we know enough about computers to be like, that's incorrect. Also, why is this little invention more advanced than anything in the smart house? Yes. Like this thing is truly crazy. Almost everything at smart house has come true, but this thing is insane. And, and then you see the house they live in, and it's like, if this kid is casually creating objects like this, his family should be the richest family on the block. Like, <laughs> if this kid is just like, oh, dad, I came up with this invention for you to try. Like, he he has to, I mean, they, they've got to be the most well-off family there's ever been, because they could just sell everything he makes. Get yeah. that kid on Shark Tank. A hundred percent. Yes. Uh, Mark Cuban will invest. He would be in. Mr. Wonderful, though, he would want royalties. They would go back and forth a little bit, I think. But you always got to go with Cuban. If Cuban's in, you got to go Cuban. That's That's true. Although, although Laura Grenier is the queen of Shark Tank. She uh, she's done quite well. Hmm. Do you know the most? Well, now we're on Shark Tank. Do you know the most success? (laughs) That's right. Do you know the most successful product ever? is invested it the sponge? on Shark Tank. The, the smiling sponge. It was for a long time. Scrub Daddy. Yeah. Was Scrub for Daddy. a long time the most uh, successful product. Invested by Laura Grenier. But it has been overtaken by Bombas. Bombas? Oh, I didn't the even socks. know they started on Shark huh. Tank. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, they are now the most successful product invested in on Shark Tank. That's Bombas. probably because a lot of podcasts push them. Right. Damon Johns got the investment. So. Good for huh. him. Yeah, good for yeah. Damon. The FUBU money came in strong there. I think Cuban mostly just invests for PR because he has so much more money than anyone else on that show. And it's yeah. not close. If yeah. he gets in, the other sharks are like... Uh, I like. Yeah, everybody them. will be like vying for control. They're like, we'll give you 10 grand. We'll give you 20 grand. Cuban's like, I'll give you $100,000. And they're like, well, 
we're yeah, we're okay, out. I guess and we're for out. that reason, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just great whenever Cuban opens his mouth and he's like excited about something. You see the rest of them just look at each other, and be like, "Well, fuck, like we can't do he's anything." Like, I'm a billionaire. How do you feel about that? <laughs> a B in it, bitches. Like, sit down. <laughs> Anyway, remember when Charlie Boyle was so sad sitting on that oh my uh, God. bench after Wait. the kids messed with him yes. at the hockey? Okay, <laughs> this is this is one of the most like heartbreaking setups that they did. To your point, is he talks to his dad? He, by the way, folks who are listening, the invention replaces the Zamboni. I know Max talked about it a little bit. Literally, what it does is it makes the entire ice rink flat in two seconds. It's it it, it smooths over the ice in a, in a millisecond. So he'd be making a bunch of money. After he has this moment, which I feel is downplayed far too much, as we've all discussed, he looks at his dad and goes, all right, I'm going to go play some hockey, some street hockey. I have a feeling they're finally going to let me play today. He said that with such earnest hope. You know they're not going to let him play. They're not going to do that. He makes him a cool puck and everything that's like better to be on the the graphite of the ground or it's it's made a graphite for the concrete i don't know science words clearly this movie worked on me because i have no idea what the hell he's talking about most of the time <laughs> yeah and they take i just thought it was a pencil yeah they take it his- <laughs> <laughs> why is it not writing on the ground <laughs> <laughs> but they take his cool puck and then they're like oh but you still can't play basically and then he spits the worst game of all time oh, <laughs> oh on yeah. that girl sitting on the bench he he's does. like do you know dr kleikstein uh, or whatever is the, the doctor Crickstein Crickstein he's like do you not know Dr. Crickstein and the girl's like no like no one does and he just keeps talking about it incessantly and she mm-hmm. gets up and leaves uh, it's my my question was at the end of the scene they fade to him sitting on the bench and everyone's gone and the street lamp comes on and I'm like why is he still sitting there I had like, the same response that game ended hours ago and he just is still sitting there it's like wallowing in his sadness I guess it's just it it is one of those moments where I watch this and I'm just my logical brain goes there's no reason for him to still be there like the kids are all gone it is clearly dark there is no reason that Charlie Boyle is still sitting on that bench waiting for his turn to play other than to endear him to us. He read it right. in the scripts that he had to sit there while it was dark. Yeah, out. that's true. Right. That's true. Oh, well, I mean, then, you know, naturally he has to be there. From this scene, he goes back home. Yeah, he has some sad moments with his dad, but the crux of the scene is to introduce that he has skipped so many grades. He's already in college, and here are his offer letters, the likes of which include Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, Yale. I mean, he's doing pretty well for himself. The entire Ivy League. Yeah, they just rattle everyone. off basically the whole Ivy League. And you know where he decides to go? A fictional university made up just for this movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Naturally. Why wouldn't he? Dr. Crickstein is there. Was it Northern Wyoming? Nor- Northwestern. Wisconsin, right? Northwest Northwestern. Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin, though. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a W state. And the rationale for him going there is because Dr. Crickstein, Crickstein is there. I'm never going to get that right. Crickstein is there, and he is working on uh, Gravitrons. Which is that a are, real word? That is a thing. Now, I did look that up. I, my, all the science words are real. It's the combination of them that doesn't make any sense. Like... The individual words are real words. It's when you put them together that it means absolutely nothing. You are so correct. So gra- I said it incorrectly, by the way. It's graviton. Gravitons are things that physicists have, because I did a deep dive because I had to know, are things that physicists have been looking to try to discover because the effect is 
in much less dramatic ways, kind of what the movie is built around. Like if we are able to, you know, have graviton, we can prove a lot of these theories about physics and relativity in the world, right? Like that's they're they're looking to discover it. It was I think Stephen Hawking was trying to discover this as well, which is why it's brought up. But it's neither here nor there. That one's real. I did the research. I I basically don't understand basic science, so there's no way in hell I understand theoretical science. So yeah. what what is Charles read on this? So the scene is he gets accepted to all these universities. Mm-hmm. He tells his dad, "I'm going to go to north northwestern Wisconsin." And then we watch dad throw the Harvard acceptance letter in the trash in a crazy POV from the trash can's point of view. They love that shot because they bring that. They do. They play it again. My favorite character in the movie is the trash can, actually. The best best POV in the whole film. What is your um, what's your read on this scene? Is it that because dad's very accepting? Yeah. Right. Dad's like cool man like whatever you want to do you're gonna do is your read on this scene that we as an audience are supposed to feel like you fucking idiot go to harvard or no that's a well thought out point of view what what do you think the read on charlie's decision to not go to any ivy league schools but instead go to northwestern wisconsin what are we supposed to feel in that moment as an adult watching this movie got the feeling of you moron why wouldn't you go to these ivy league schools that are by the way mentioned to be offering you full rides they're gonna pay for everything as a kid i wonder if the perspective was we're supposed to be happy for charlie because he's pursuing a very specific and niche dream which Mm -hmm. is the gravitons and he's got a he's got a mentor there that he wants to go see he's built this up in his head he gets the opportunity to teach a class which is bonkers to me you know, we're watching this and we're supposed to be between the ages of, you know, 10 and, and 14. I wonder if that is the perspective of if I put myself in those shoes, would I would I have been happy for Charlie in that instance? I didn't really think about it much in this scene, but I think we're supposed to think you moron because the time we see the trash can scene again, it's right after you've met. He devil thinks it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's right after you've met Dr. Crickstein, who's like, of course, like a little bit neurotic. He's a little cuckoo. He's a little out there. And you see Charlie like, oh, God, did I make a mistake not going to Harvard? So I think they're trying to imply that we should think he made a mistake. Hmm. I actually am probably the opposite of you, Alan. I, I think that like, as a kid, I probably would have felt like you made a mistake because I think that even as a kid, I knew Harvard, I knew Harvard was a really big school and like, Oh, you, if you can go to Harvard, you should go to Harvard. Right. But I think as an adult, I heard his reasoning which by the way i have lots of thoughts about and it's going to fall through in just a minute like literally in seconds it's going to fall through but as an adult i heard his reasoning was like no that's a good reason to go to that school if you have a scientist that you look up to their study that's happening it's a good lab they have the resources you're like i don't i don't think i care what the name of the school is if you have the mentor that you're going to and like this that and the other thing you know it's like very different obviously but like a lot of the decisions i made about my career in music 
I made mistakes because I didn't, it wasn't the professor. I just went to the school and it's like, I should have gone where I could be a better saxophone player. and like gone to the right professor rather than, Oh, I'm just going to go to the school and not care about who the professor is. Right? Like it seemed like he had a really well thought out reason for why he wanted to go to this school. And I was like, cool, good for you. Uh, but I think as a kid, I would have been like, you're an idiot. Go to Harvard. I'm waiting for the seconds to fall through on the reasoning though here. Well, when we get there, okay. we got to get to the school. Oh, yeah. oh, fair. Okay, fair. So I'm glad we're not glossing over this. Charlie created a weapon. He created a weapon that could seriously injure people. Oh, yeah. The, the, the hockey, hockey stick. stick. Did you all like, he was like, I can make a hockey stick that can hit a puck. Even if I just barely tap it, it'll, it'll shoot up with the increased velocity, science words, science words, science words. And in my head, I was like, oh, cool. So he's just going to tap it and it's going to go pretty fast. Great. What we get is him tapping a hockey puck that then rockets out of like breaks a window and then we hear a man shout in pain <laughs> we hear multiple window breaks yeah. my favorite part about that scene is the dad just like walks away he's like whatever and like leaves <laughs> my my thing is like i don't think you're going to be able to use that in a hockey game i don't think mm. anything you're making is regulation and that feels no. like cheating but we're going to we're going to get to that because oh. that's some foreshadowing. Oh, we've got some cheating to talk about. Nothing. We got some brink level cheating oh, to talk about oh, in uh, just a well, later in this movie. Listen, nothing about Charlie Boyle's regulation. And I think we, we eclipse Brink's level of cheating in this film. Oh, by a that's mile. That's true. <laughs> so I think after we have this scene, we wind up at the college where the mascot is perhaps my favorite mascot that I've ever heard of in my entire life. The Northern what? Lights. The Northern Lights. It's like on Community how they're the human beings. <laughs> <laughs> they're the Glendale or Greendale human no. beings. Like that, yeah, the team's name is the Northern Lights, which is like wonderful. It's a good one. Welcome to the home of the Northern Lights in Wisconsin. Have a good, enjoy your time here. Um, his introduction. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm typing for just a minute. I have to know. Can you see the Northern Lights? Can you see the Northern Lights in Wisconsin? <laughs> the real question. I don't think so. Don't you have to go to like? It says if you live in. Yeah, you can expect to see a couple Aurora Borealis shows each year. So probably not on the reg, but it's best to see the lights between September and April. So apparently you can. That's good to know. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, at least that's accurate, right? I like they see. I was time. really worried that they named them the Northern Lights, and you can't even see them in Wisconsin, <laughs> which would be very funny. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that would just be incredible. His introduction to the to the college is actually, again, pretty neat. I guess his first stop, rather than his dorm room, so he has a singular duffel bag of items that he carries with him from home, and he goes to the hockey arena. Is it arena or a, on a stadium a for rink. hockey? A, a rink. rink. The rink. To the rink. Clearly, I know nothing about winter sports. They go to the hockey rink so he can sort of observe the practice, one. And also, two, we learn in passing that Dr. Crickstein, nailed it, Dr. Crickstein's lab is beneath the hockey rink. For reasons. Because... Because it keeps the particle accelerator cold. For plot reasons. <laughs> For plot That's reasons. Right. Certainly That's not right. because the only two important things in this film are hockey and physics. Not at all for that. It's, it's definitely for science how, reasons. How convenient for him, though, because I remember going to college and like having to haul ass all across campus to get between Yeah, his stuff is right next to each other. convenient. Yeah. 
I listen, I imagine for budgetary reasons, this is also incredible because we are certainly limiting the number of locales that we have to scout for shit. The most convenient thing for him about his college schedule is that he never goes to a class. I mean, yeah. it, that is the most like he doesn't actually attend this college. No, he I, teaches. He teaches at it. He that, works on science. He wor- and then he attends a different Guys, school. <laughs> this is a little bit earlier than what I planned on talking about this, but I I guess what I'm trying to say is I think he's an indentured servant. I like I I don't think that he actually attends this college. Like all I see him do is work. Like he's not actually a student. And I understand that for this movie they are balancing the like eighth grade classes and the college and they're trying to show like how different they are. But he's enrolled in this college, and all we see him do is teach or work in a science lab. Never go to a class. He, he's not a student. He's a professor. <laughs> he got an acceptance letter, which, to your point, Max, presupposes that he should be in class. <laughs> A hundred percent. And they're like, tell you what, we'll pay for your board. You are going to work two jobs and uh, <laughs> you're not going to get paid anything for the record. Because you're a student. You are a student. So right. while we are in the hockey rink, we meet the hockey team filled with definite college age kids. I got to talk about this. I looked it up. <laughs> I, I was like, know. yeah, I thought I did too. <laughs> I, this the main hockey player, the the star of the hockey team, Mike. Mike, Mike, and I thought very handsome, very old, like mm-hmm. very old. Like I was like, Mike <laughs> has to be at least twenty seven. And I looked it up. Did you guys? Yep. At he was. 30, 30 years old. <laughs> Wait, at the 30, time of filming? 30 yeah. years old. He, he, no yeah, shot. And he, and he looks it. <laughs> yeah, he does. And that's why I was like, he is so handsome. He's my age. Of course yeah. I think he's <laughs> handsome. Like, what he is the hell? 30 at time of filming. Oh, uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I get, I, I get that they're trying to really emphasize the age gap between this 14 year old kid and the and the college students but what really made me look up if he would how old he was was because they keep showing college parties which felt off brand for a decom and then Mm -hmm. i was like well he could be 21 like they're in college like he could be able to drink but he's he could rent a car in all 50 states he like he he's about to be able to run for president this man is old 30 30 years old yeah i i thought the exact same thing i was like that dude looks old and And he was yeah we were were correct we meet the we meet the hockey team and then we are also introduced to the rivals rumson right that's the name of the rival team yeah and Mm -hmm. you learn that this is their biggest game all year Mm -hmm. and that the rumson team is is known for playing dirty because they have this thing called the rumson rack where they distract the ref and while the ref is distracted, two of the other players take out the best player on your team. And I have some questions about this. Okay, As someone uh-huh. who's never seen a hockey game, would like to go, though. I hear they're a lot of fun. Isn't half of hockey just, like, fighting with each other? Yeah, this feels just on brand for hockey for doesn't, me. Isn't this right. just hockey? Like, it doesn't... I don't think like- that they can do what we saw. Because we eventually see them execute the Rumson rack. 
and I, they can't do that necessarily. But yeah, like being really physical does feel quite on brand for hockey. I agree. I think and- my issue comes with the ref distraction part. That's where my issue sits. The violence, I think, can can scale dependent upon the... Because, I mean, when people, like, throw gloves, you're getting into a literal fist fight on the I ice. I mean, we saw the Bash Brothers in, uh, in, in the Mighty Ducks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but, uh, this is normal. But let's say this is illegal. Let's say this is beyond regular hockey fighting. If everybody knows about this move, <laughs> why isn't the ref ready for it? Why isn't yeah. the ref, like, no... Like, yeah. like, why aren't there two refs? Like, it's every, every game, the ref is like, oh, I got distracted again. It's, <laughs> you know what this is? It's not a hockey match. It's a, it's a WWE match where just like <laughs> conveniently the ref's like, hey, man. And then the guy pulls the weapon out of his trunks and he hits, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a choreographed dance is what it is. Like, it, yeah. It, okay. Let's say this is illegal. Be on your lookout, ref. Like, yeah. What? Okay. If, if the entirety of the team and hockey community at large understands what's about to happen, I would be the most unrealistic thing is that the ref has no idea. Do establish that this is the biggest game. We have the Northern Lights versus Rumson, biggest game. We understand this because guess who should appear but the dean of the school. The dean mm. is wild. Yeah, the dean is savage. Do you know who the dean reminds me of? The dean reminds me of Sandy Rivers from How I Met Your Mother. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yes. He is Sandy Rivers. Yeah. It like, is just, oh, very much the same. I knew it was a Himium guy. I kind of thought maybe the captain, but Sandy Rivers is correct. Like, well, yeah. I don't understand if you know what I'm talking about, but I've got confidence to spare. And he and literally like, just wrecks the hockey team. Oh, like, my he's thousand like, percent. He basically is like, y'all fucking suck. In front of them. Like, in front of them, in front of the coach, like he just insults them and he immediately. Takes a, he takes it a step further and he says, hey coach, this rivalry game, how many times have you won it since you started here? Oh wait, the answer to that is zero. If you lose it again, I'm going to fire you. Yeah, in front of him <laughs> to a 13-year-old kid because... As Alan said, we established that the lab is right under. You see, because of the lab, the rink like shakes and the power flickers. And and you get this tension between the hockey team and the science that's happening, which means that now Charlie, who loves hockey, is immediately disliked by the team. And the dean's like, nah, don't worry about those losers. They suck. And that coach is about to be fired. And I was like, you are saying this. To their face. Like, it is... Casually. Like, casually. He, he's, like, got an arm around a 13-year-old kid's like, these fucking idiots? Don't <laughs> worry about them. They're terrible. And We're then just, like, walks anyway. away. Uh, then we get to meet Dr. Crickstein. We do. Uh, who is... I actually really liked Dr. Crickstein. He's my favorite character. Yeah, he's a good character. Yeah, I liked that. I think he played such a, a fun role in this. He has a little bit of growth. He, he takes on a mentor role. I just think he was a fun sort of plot driver. You know what other role he took on? Roger Rabbit. He is the voice of Roger Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and a Wait, lot of other really? Roger Rabbit things. He was also Actually, now, now, that you, now that you say that, that I can hear it. Yeah. I, I knew he sounded familiar, so I IMDb'd him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was Roger Rabbit in the main movie and a bunch of the subsequent cartoons. He also was Benny the Cab, and he's done a lot of voice acting. He, I didn't see a lot of, like, huh. person acting, but he's done a lot mm-hmm. of voice acting. But, yeah, Roger Rabbit. Very cool. Nice. Great fun fact. 
I'm not going to lie to you. I was anticipating our six degrees of Armageddon there, and I'm I'm still waiting for the for the shoe to drop. Oh, I'm sure it'll come around. I as we do introduce him, we do get my favorite line from the dean in the whole movie, which is when he says, "I've got some major stuff to do because." <laughs> I'm the Dean or something. And I was like, nice. That's some excellent writing. Well, well done. That's what I say when I want to like get out of an awkward situation or like you have to go to the bathroom and you're like, I mean, that's, that is the situation. He introduces Charlie to Crickstein and he goes, now I've got some major stuff to do. Oh, we did. We missed my favorite delivery of every of I- anything. I'm so sorry. I have to bounce back because it's literally my favorite delivery in the whole mo- in the whole movie. Charlie uh, is at the hockey rink. Mm-hmm. Charlie's at the hockey rink. That it shakes. The light flickers. You establish that the lab is underneath, and one of the hockey players, the the other roommate, delivers this line that is the. So insane. I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to kick that scientist out and give us our arena back. And and the coach says they were until they recruited some like super genius kid to come and work on gravity or something. And this hockey player goes, mad we almost had the arena to ourselves. And he like holds up this glove. It's like a Shakespearean delivery uh, to ourselves. Like I just, it's such an unhinged delivery of this line. Man, we almost had the arena to ourselves. That I paused it immediately. And ran it back multiple <laughs> times because it's so crazy. Like I, he doesn't talk like a real human in this the moment. Whole movie, <laughs> this Mike, really, crazy. No, it's not Mike. It's Mike's it's roommate. Guy. Like it's, oh, it is. Oh, oh man, oh. it's so good. We almost had the arena to ourselves. Is this the same guy when they do the cutback after saying after we have the conversation between the dean and the coach? When the dean is like, "You're all you suck, and you're gonna get fired, and you they, you, you don't even like them anyway." And uh, Charlie goes, "I don't think I I don't think they do anymore." And then he goes, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it." And Charlie looks over his shoulder, and you see Mike kind of do a fist shake, and this guy that kind of takes his hockey stick and breaks it over. Yes, his knee. yes, it's that in a, guy. You know, clearly violent. It's also threat. the guy that shows off his appendix scar later. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> oh god, well, yeah. I think this is a good time to bring up that. Charlie meets Dr. Crickstein. He's a little unhinged. He's a little loopy. Like, Charlie's like, did I make a mistake? But then Charlie meets his roommates. And who would his roommates be other than the entire hockey team for some reason? (laughs) In a massive dorm room. It's like a frat house, basically. But it's it's like a dorm room that, like, led you into a frat house with the whole hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why would this be his roommates? Why would they put him with them? And a bigger question, why is he living there on his own? He's 14. I actually Googled this. I I had to know. Now, here's my question. Did you all know slash live with anyone that was under the age of eight? Maybe not like early graduate 17, but like any 16 year olds when you went to college? No. No. So I did a little bit of research because I was like, can this kid live in this dorm? And a lot of the responses I got, apparently this is very common with 16 year olds because they'll graduate one year early. They're young for their class and they start school at 16 because I knew kids that started college at 17. 
which I felt was weird, but like it stood out as odd because you're not an adult. And like, I was young for my age. I was a summer birthday. So I always, I would turn the next year like before instead of during, right? Yeah, 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 we're the same. But I was still 18 when I went. I guess you would have started 17 right now, but then you turned 18 like a month later, like pretty quick after, right? But I knew kids that went like most of their first year were 17. But apparently this is very common at 16. A lot of colleges will have age restrictions, but basically those age restrictions are often like, if you're not 18, you have to live on the campus, but you can live in the dorms. Really? It's what I read. I don't, it's different college to college. Like there's not a sweeping rule. Right. But what I read was basically like every college has their own restrictions, but most of them will be like, if you're not 18, you must live on campus, but you can live in a dorm. And I thought how bizarro it would be to start college and have a 13, 14 year old kid is my roommate. Yeah. Especially when you're a 30 year old hockey team. Right. Sure. (laughs) I just thought it was so crazy that like, I think that, I think that's crazy. I think what you're saying is crazy to think that you could have a 14 year old living in a college campus. I'll tell you what, the, the worst thing that this kid does is enroll in school somewhere. There, mm-hmm. You have no idea how unhinged I would be if I was 14 and unsupervised in a college. Like, mm-hmm. that is crazy to me. And the fact that we literally don't see his parents again. Like, they don't call a check on him. Like, I think we it reminded me. It reminded me. No shade. All right. No shade. But it reminded me of the dynamic that I have to imagine. When I went through my college program at Disney, there was like, uh, a, an older gentleman that was going through DCP and was like 38, 39 years old. And I was like, it feels like the inverse of the, just like having a 13, 14 year old as your roommate would be a little odd. Having an almost 40 year old as your roommate would be odd as well. Um, but obviously for very different reasons, but I was like, man, what a, what a bizarro situation this would be. I just can't believe that this 14 year old kid has literally no adult supervision. Cause he even says something to the Dr. Kripstein and he's like, I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And it's just like, we, yeah, I think we get one more phone call with the parents and then we never hear from his parents ever again. The whole rest of the movie. How is he doing anything? How is he getting around? How is he feeding himself? Like, I understand he's a super genius, but like, he's still a 14 year old kid. If we zoom out and stop like trying to look at this like rational adults, I think what that's doing from a decom perspective is Disney is just saying, wouldn't any kid want this freedom? Ha ha. Right. Like responsibility is great. But also now through adult eyes, I'm going like, what the hell is happening right now? Why is this kid alone? He goes into his dorm room meets Mike and unnamed other hockey player. They have a uh, altercation is not the right word. They have a, a, a bit of like a sort of a vocal bit of disgust that Charlie's joining them as a roommate and Mike and friends storm out. We find out later that Mike just moves out at this point, leaving Charlie alone again. And we get a scene where Charlie is sort of staring longingly at what I can only assume to be a kegger that's happening outside, which is just weird. There's a lot of, heavily implied alcohol consumption on this college campus. They don't have red solo cups. They have blue solo cups, right? So like, let's go way to go Disney, but which is fine. It just threw me for a, from a decom perspective. I didn't, in, I didn't anticipate like kids drinking and they're not kids. They're grown ass adults because well, they're, they're in, even they're in the 30 pl- year olds. Well, and even in the context of the movie, 
they could be 21. The tone is different, right? From most DCOMs. We're used to it being strictly from a kid's perspective. And now you've got this kid in a space for people becoming adults. And that I think is, it was jarring to view. And I don't know if that was the intent, but boy, was it what they got from me on this one. I'd like to bring it to the next scene with Mike. Please do. So we now get Charlie going in to teach his first class, which mm. is, of course, who could have predicted this? The students are the hockey players. Of course they are. And he goes in and he starts to write his name on the board. And you'll notice he's writing Charlie, which like most people write, like professor, whatever, mm-hmm. doctor, whatever. But he's writing Charlie like a little kid on the board. And he's like, I'm going to be your teacher. And then Mike throws something, a wad of Ugh. toilet paper. Like it was a lot. It was yeah. a lot of stuff. The volume was off-putting. And he says, the line goes, I'm Charlie and I'll be teaching this class. Smack on the blackboard with whatever Mike throws. And then Mike says, and I'm Mike and I'll be disrupting it. And the class, the class laughs. Like this is the funniest (laughs) thing they've ever heard. Like I was shocked at the reaction from the class, like fucking got him the entire (laughs) class acts as though like i can't even imagine laughing that i don't know that i've ever laughed that hard at anything in my entire life and he and it's like it was bizarre to me classes laughing at anything is a theme of this movie and it starts here we are going this sets up everything that is ever said by somebody gets an entire class pop from here on out but then we meet clara let's yeah moving ahead we meet our our leading lady from the film she's ice skating and she's like kind of um i guess she's narrating to herself as if a sportscaster was yeah. watching mm-hmm. her in the Olympics or it mirrors what Charlie did at the start of the film because Charlie, Charlie also narrated for himself in the opening yeah. scene. Right. So I actually Charlie, didn't yeah. pick that up. Me nice. Either. Nice. Yeah. So the, the, the reason I think Charlie finds and like falls in immediately in love with Clara, with Claire, Clara, Claire, 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 Claire. with Claire is she, he sees her doing the same thing he did. So mm. he's like, he narrated his hockey. She's narrating her, uh, her figure skating. So he just locks on. He starts talking to her afterwards. He's thought about how he's a dork for his whole life. And every time he tries to like talk to a a girl, they leave him, they make fun of him. And he remembers some advice from Dr. Crickstein, which is a true scientist wouldn't repeat the same experiment over and over again and expect different results. And that's what he says. Yeah. That's, it's also an, like, it's also a quote, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Like it feels like they, they bogarted that phrase for this movie. Um, yeah. And so as she says, what's your name? He's about to say Charlie. Chaz. But then he says, Chaz. Yeah. Takes off the glasses quickly. Ruffles pushes, the hair. Pushes the hair back. Says Chaz. Chaz. And then it commits that he goes to the same school as her. In the weirdest way possible. I want to break down this dialogue. Chaz. Oh, hi, Chaz. Chaz Anthony. Chaz Anthony. Chaz Anthony. Chaz Anthony. Where do you go to school, Chaz Anthony? Long ass pause. Long pause. Where do you go? Where do you go to school? Not a normal response. Whatever school, Forest High or whatever. And then he's like, 
Guess That's, that yep. answers that. Same. Well, well there's Franklin. your answer. Franklin High. Franklin High. Well, there's your answer. No. No shot that is how anything would play out like that ever. But but go, yeah, going back to our opening, he just gives a different version of his own name to mm-hmm. be yep. his alias. And what I think is interesting is that another name that this oh, God. guy's gone, gone by is, is. Eric. Because um, he's actually played by a gentleman named Trevor Morgan, who I immediately recognized as Eric, the son in Jurassic Park 3. Did anyone mm. else remember him from that? No, uh, I can't say I did. A film in which he starred alongside my favorite Jurassic Park uh, character, Dr. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, who yeah. played alongside Richard Attenborough in the original Jurassic Park. Sure. Richard Attenborough also showed up in Jurassic Park 2. In Jurassic Park 2 was Peter... I'm sorry, did we just go from 3 to 1 to 2? Yeah, I had to. This is, had a, okay. this is a long walk for a drink I had of water. To. <laughs> okay. 14 degrees of Armageddon. Because in Jurassic Park 2, very specifically... Peter Stormark is in it. He's one uh-huh. of the bad guys uh, yeah. that's capturing all the dinosaurs that you might recall. Mm-hmm. He's also in Armageddon. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I believe he's the Russian in Armageddon. And you might know by now that Owen Wilson was in Armageddon. I'm a big fan of Owen Wilson. Uh, you know wow. who else is a big fan of Owen Wilson? His brother, Luke Wilson. Mm. And the two of them, side by side, uh, did a film together called the wendell baker story i don't i've not actually seen that but what i have seen luke wilson in is legally blonde one of my favorite Mm. films Mm -hmm. uh you probably know that the star of legally blonde alongside luke wilson was reese witherspoon a personal hero of mine she was in one of my favorite shows on hbo big little lies with none other than laura dern who's Dr. Ellie Sadler in the Jurassic Park series. We're going back to Jurassic Park? Oh, we're going back to Jurassic Park, just like they did in Jurassic Park 3. Who's who's in Jurassic Park 3 with Laura Dern? Who's looking for Eric? Well, that would be William H. Macy. And he currently stars alongside Emmy Rossum in Shameless. (laughs) And Emmy Rossum is Claire in Genius. (laughs) Honestly, just hold on. Like, that that is a long walk. That was a path. Could I have done it simpler? Probably. Did I want to include the Jurassic films? You bet, Jurass. I did. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Clever girl. Jurass. Okay. You didn't think I could do it, but you bet, Jurass, I can. Uh, listen, I want to be very clear about something, <laughs> listeners. There has never been an iota of doubt in my mind that I, but Molly you, you, could do this. I bet you bet Jura, Jurassic, Jurassic she can. I bet Jurassic, Jurassic can. she could. Jurassic can. Jurassic can. You bet Jurassic can do it every podcast. You've been Armageddoned, the part of the show where Molly, by no one's urging, has found yet another way this decom can be tied to the smash hit Armageddon. Don't tell her to stop because she won't. Okay, so we have Chaz getting ready for school now, and I think we should talk about that. Okay, yeah. Charlie enrolls Chaz at Franklin Middle or whatever. Yeah, he's a hacker and a a computer Um, genius. So, yeah, he enrolls him, and he's like, I'm going to go to school. And be a bad boy. I'm sorry. Another another decob where the where the lead or a character is a hacker. I know he's a physics genius. That does not mean he knows how to hack into a school's network. All right. Ridiculous. Another 
another instance of I'm a kid, therefore I hack. If I've learned anything from DCOM, it's that all kids age 12 to 15, super hackers. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's just, it, I think it's, again, we're benefiting from people not knowing really how computers work. And like, this kid's going to be able to do it. Well, it's totally fine. Speaking of not knowing how technology and science works, I want to jump ahead a little bit because at this point we get a lot of him like impressing uh, the other kids at school. He's kind of a smart ass to the teacher on the first day. And she says, she says, my name is Mrs. Whatever. And he says, and I'm chat and I'll be teaching this class. And he hits him with, and I'm Chaz and I'll be disrupting it. Big pop, big pop, but nothing gets a bigger pop than in science class. (laughs) When the science teacher has a plastic skeleton. Oh my God. Like a lot of science teachers do. And the science teacher's trying to do that thing where he's funny to a bunch of middle schoolers and he's making a bunch of like bone related puns. And the class is popping off, but they're not popping off because of the teacher's bad science puns. They're popping off because Chaz has turned this plastic skeleton into a computer 3D effect, a visual effect. And it's like dancing and moving and touching the teacher. And I don't know much about science. But I don't know that with a remote control in his hand, could he turn a plastic skeleton into a 3D computer graphic? I think what you're saying is, could he make that skeleton into an audio animatronic, which you know a lot about? I know that you know a lot about audio animatronics. And could he just convert plastic skeleton to an audio animatronic that he can control with a remote control. That's more likely than him turning it into a bad 3d graphic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's the, the problem that I have with it is one remote controls only control four directions. You get forward, back, left, right. They, they can be programmed to do different things. So the start of this is fairly, it's, it's not, super reasonable in the grand scheme of things but him programming a skeleton to like reach a hand up and put it on somebody's shoulder that's not crazy it's incredibly yeah. difficult but not crazy he could do it but he'd have to tamper with the skeleton for sure of course he doesn't sure ever he touch the skeleton he just brings out this remote control and now it works it's like, like an and, off-screen thing and then the skeleton twerks yeah the skeleton the problem <laughs> I have is the skeleton twerking it, it like fully walks and automates and it uh-huh. like yeah, it twerks. We also, I also like want to know. Lizzo playing James Madison's flute. Right. Ooh, yeah. I also want to know why the stand upon which the skeleton is mounted disappears. Just goes away when we move to this computer animated effect. It's just like. needed to twerk. They had to well, you had to twerk. You can't twerk with a stand in your way. You can't do that. Unfortunately, none of this stuff he's doing is really winning the heart of Claire. He's, he's realizing that as much as he would like, it's not really working. Um, and we end up with him back in the lab with Dr. Crickstein, who he's, he's trying to, you know, there's a mixture of like him working on science and him being an eighth grader. I can't say I'm shocked that he, uh, a young prodigy genius going to college at 13 yearns for actually being a a kid. It's not shocking to me that he is enjoying going to this school and having friends, but he does ask Dr. Crickstein at one point, if he ever had a girlfriend, Ooh. 
to oh, which God. Dr. Crickstein says, mm-hmm. well, I did build a robot named Cheryl, mm-mm, mm-mm. and we became very close. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. To which I, I did have, okay, I'm just going to admit, I'm going to just be really quick. My first thought was kind of a you lucky dog scenario. Yep. Which was, did Dr. Crickstein have sex with the robot? But then my second immediate thought, <laughs> I have good news, listeners. The answer is no. All right. I can confirm for you right here. The answer is no, because if Dr. Crickstein created a sex robot, he wouldn't be studying gravitons. I'll tell you that. Like uh, he there's there's no world where he would be in this lab doing these physics if he had made a sex robot. That's that's not a thing that he would have done. I'm glad you cleared that up because I also was concerned that he maybe had a sex robot that he created. And so I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah, I think that if he had invented a sex robot, he would be really one-tracked. I I think that he would have direction in his life that is not defying gravity. Oh, God, my... I also wrote, like, please tell me he did not have sex with that robot. I'm glad we all had that thought. Yeah, He might have at 16, though. Maybe. I I think that his life would have taken a turn if he had made a sex robot. The trajectory changes pretty significantly, I'll agree. Uh, I think one thing that I want to just make sure we jump back to and include is that in this scene we have, or in the scenes prior, we have Claire takes on Chaz as a tutor. She tutors uh, Chaz. And this is in a goal for Chaz to get closer to Claire. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because there's a song that's played during this montage that took me right back to the 90s. And it was like, I I want your love. I'll do anything for your love. But it was really auto-tuned. And I immediately was like, did auto-tune just come out? Because like mm. this is reeking of bad auto-tune. So I looked it up. And auto-tune, uh, remember this movie came out in 1999. Auto-tune was invented a few years prior. But the first song to use lyrics and auto-tune like publicly on the radio was Believe by Cher. And it came out mm. the year before. Huh. So yes, auto-tune was new and it was popping. And that's why this song is like, dramatically auto-tuned during this little romance montage. Yeah, with, with some really creepy actions on the part of Chaz slash Charlie with the hair sniffing. That was... Oh, the hair sniffing made me uncomfortable. He's the, not cri- like the he, hair is, he is the cringiest character we've gotten so far because even when he's like trying to be funny or cool, it is just like... Yeah, I mean, he's a 13-year-old nerd. It's not surprising that he's the cringiest character we've gotten. It's, I just, here's the thing, though. And both of you know this about me, and I'm happy that we're talking about the cringeness. Like, I have a cringe meter that I can tolerate. And I don't know why I feel that, like, Molly, we all often watch shows, and I've actually been there when this happens as well. When we watch shows like The Office, or we watch shows that have really, like, cringy, uncomfortable moments, I have dramatic physical reactions to it because it makes me very deeply uncomfortable. I don't know why that happens, but there were parts of this montage where I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to watch like, this is just so cringy. It's funny you say that because I have a very similar reaction to a scene that, that we have here. So the tension builds to, you know, Charlie's living this double life. We see him at eighth grade. We see him in, in college. He's Charlie. He's Chaz. He's back and forth. And then the tension escalates because his science teacher, who he's just done this skeleton bit with, reveals that he wants students like Chaz to be inspired by a young genius and that they're going to all go to Northwestern. He's arranged for a field trip for them to meet 
Charlie Boyle and Charlie realizes it's a it's a two in one scenario. What is he going to do? And he cooks up this whole plan and and he makes his skin purple and whatnot. Those type of scenes give me physical anxiety. Like for you, it's the like cringe factor of like the sniffing the hair. For me, it's the like, is he going to get caught to like has to be in two places at once? I was physically uncomfortable watching that scene and wanted to skip it because I like it causes me anxiety. I, I, I wish I could describe in articulate terms exactly what it is that is so off-putting. I don't know if you, you could do that any better than I could, but just having him be like, all right, I have to dye my skin purple, wash it off, get back out, sit with the group, look at the teacher. The teacher knows I'm there. Sneak back out. Go re-dye my skin purple in the same exact way. Roll out with a clearly hastily bandaged leg. Get rocketed across the stage by a teacher who is apparently the Hulk. And like... I just uh, the entire the entire sequence was just so difficult to watch. But what it did was give us a really nice setup into how quickly this is all unraveling for Charlie. I also think it made me really like Doc even more because he's chaotic good. Like he's like, oh, yeah, he's down for Charlie's harebrained schemes. Like he's like. Because Charlie comes in and he's like, oh, my God, my class is coming. They want to meet me, but I'm supposed to be in my class. What do I do? And like Doc's like along for the ride. And it's it's a sweet kind of mentorship where Doc is not his parent. He's going to let Charlie like figure it out, but he's going to help him. He's going to help the guy out. (laughs) I think he feels bad for him. I think he probably sees a lot of himself in it. Charlie. Anyway, I like I like Doc. No, I, I cringed when he sniffed his hair, but I think. Cringing when he sniffs his hair is creepy cringy. When I cringe watching him is when he tries to like make jokes or like be mm, suave and delivery. it like is just so oh. not. That's when miss. I was like, ooh, Yeah, that a delivery miss. is just bad. I love what happens next though. After this sequence, we get Mike having moved back into the dorm room because Mike is having an epiphany, I guess as happens when you're a senior in college and also a 30 year old man is when he's like, I if I continue on this path, I'm not going anywhere. I need you to help me. It's so shocking that the athlete would need the nerd to tutor them in this film. I did not see that coming at all. Yeah. That's a that's a trope that's hardly uh, ever used in yeah. film and television. So Never. I was very surprised that Mike would need Charlie's help in school. It is out of nowhere, though. Like, yes, the structure of it makes complete sense and is very, like, predictable. The structure of this is very predictable, but Mike is an asshole literally two scenes before. Yes. And now he's like, you have something that I need. A future. That that is a Ralph-level switch in terms of what happens off-screen. He went to therapy off-screen, clearly. It's true. He read it in the script. So we get this sort of tutelage that happens uh, Mike being tutored by Charlie and then Mike also giving Charlie advice on girls. Yes. Which is, I think, probably one of the most interesting scenes that we've had so far because Charlie has been taking what Mike has done and then embodying Chaz in that very same way. And then Mike is like, nah, bro, that's all wrong. <laughs> what? Well, he's like, telling him to like, that. You, the moral is you can't study how to talk to women like he's like you can't Mm. watch how i interact with women and then try and mimic it like you need to do like how you would talk to women and he's like Mm -hmm. you need to just go with your and he tells him like you can't learn this you can't write this down you gotta just go with your gut and so the next scene is so wild oh yeah first of all there's a sweet moment where he's playing charlie's playing um hockey with the kids at his fake school and 
he's finally getting to play with the group and it's so great. And there's a dork sitting on the bench and Charlie goes over and he's like, Hey man, I'm a little tired. Why don't you tap in? And it's really nice because there's a moment where you're like, is he going to do it or not? Like you want him to go give back, you know, he finally knows what it's like to be part of the team, but there is a moment where you're like, Oh God, is he not going to do it? But he does. He's ultimately a good kid. Although I hear you, but I think he only does it because he wants Claire. Yep. I'm choosing to believe he did it because he wants to help that kid. Because he says to himself right before, just do what you would do. Like he quotes Mike back to himself. It makes me feel like he only does this because he likes that girl. I want to believe that he wanted the kid to play because he knows what it's like to be left out. Yeah, I I hope you're right. I think Claire's probably the number one priority, but I think there's I think there's duality to that because Claire acknowledges it later. She's like, I know you're not tired. Like, yeah, I know you did that to be nice. If you want to know when I became uncomfortable oh, watching God. this movie. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually don't know how to introduce this part of the film because of how, like, just my brain is has I'm gone full panic right mode. now thinking about how unfucking comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not even Charlie. Claire, no, it's Claire. It's Claire. Claire starts telling this story about why she likes figure skating instead of oh, it's, oh god, it is insane. This story I, I'm is sweaty. off the <laughs> fucking <sweating>. rails. <laughs> the story is like that her mom did figure skating and her dad did hockey. She and her mom didn't get along that well, so she liked hockey more. But she went to her mom's professional figure skating competition. Can you talk about? So she goes to the figure skating competition, <laughs> and for a while it seems that I, she's just doing rote movements of her body on the. No, ice. no, no. She, she's <laughs> like, she was fine, nothing special. Like she, she just, she like shits oh. on her mom. Oh. She's like, Bags her mom. Yeah, she just, Bags she's like, mom. she goes, I'm watching, and she's fine. She's nothing special. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then, the heavens opened up. And yeah. snow began to fall and on the snow ice. Snow begins to fall, and oh. she transcended <laughs> being a mediocre, like shitty ice skater, and she became a ballerina in a snow globe. <laughs> oh. oh no! <laughs> this is the wildest montage of a decom. God, it's so sure. wild. I, I, I implore anyone out there. To use this monologue as an audition, please, for the love of God, somebody out there, if you're looking for a monologue for an audition and you want something truly off the rails, this Claire monologue is one of the craziest monologues I've ever Uh. seen in a film. It is so like just... The turn from like, my mom is kind of shit, to be honest, but then the snow falls from the sky like a miracle on ice and a snow globe is created like, oh, wow. It was unbelievable. But then then points to Charlie for this next one. She says, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Oh, God. And then Charlie says you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You're 14. And he goes in to kiss her, but then he gets hit in the head with the snowball from some little chits that are yeah. playing around the, the ice skating. And he laughs about it. Like, no, dude would be pissed. Dude yeah. would be pissed. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, no, he's mad. His balls are blue. And he blue. laughs. Yeah, blue. If, they, if they've dropped. Yep. Yeah, well, you know. I don't, 
I don't know about that. This is the 13th <laughs> Did year. Did you learn nothing from the 13th year? <laughs> what are you? Does he have I thought, we, I thought we've gone through this. Does he have fins? All right. have you learned Does nothing? he have a picture of Claire by his bed? <laughs> if, if no, do his roommates close the door at night? I, I, I have... They share a room, Max. Oh, God. <laughs> that, room. that alone is weird enough to be living with a 14-year-old because, like, <laughs> that's puberty. That's not mm-hmm. a time you want to be six feet apart from somebody in a, in a single twin. Yeah, I no. agree. No. Anyway, <sighs> shocking twist of events. We come to our, I guess, climax because yeah. who could have thunk? Who could have thunk it that all this is going to unravel during the big game? Nobody. That's right. Not a single Everybody person. in the whole plot is there. You've got Claire, who we did find out her dad is the hockey coach. Mm-hmm. Yep. You've got Claire going with her dad to the hockey game. You've got the dean there telling the hockey players that they're fucking trash. You've yeah. got Again. the whole hockey team. It's the rump. It's not the rumps. It's no, it is it the is rumps. The, yeah, it's the rumps. Yeah, it's game. Northern Whites versus Rumson. Yeah. It's the big game. Everybody's there. What could go wrong? We get you a- also get a wild wine. One yeah. that we have not had something to this level in a while, but you get Charlie's friends from school who are discussing Rumson when they come onto the ice and they go, Oh, it sounds like, it sounds like the, the Northern fans are going to, going to be louder than the Rumson fans, you know, cause they're all getting booed. The Rumson players are all getting booed. Wow. Boos from the crowd. It sounds like the Northern fans are going to outnumber the Rumson fans. And he goes, no, those are the Rumson fans. Turns out they only respond to negative reinforcement. They exclusively recruit from broken homes. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I, that that line pause. is insane. <laughs> <laughs> that is an unbelievable line. Unbelievable that that got written. And like, in past the writer's room. And it doesn't even feel like a of the times writing, right? It's not a sensitivity that we didn't have. It's just a crazy line. Yeah. Period. And one that's going to go over any kid watching this is head. Oh, yeah. So it's like, who are you writing this line for? We do, however, after we deal with that just absolute concussive force of a line, we do have a nice interaction between Mike and Charlie in the lab when Mike brings Charlie a jersey. He's like, hey, I got to see on my report card. I'm passing. I'm doing better. Here's a jersey with your name on it. Uh, so you can. F- it's my number, which feels interesting. Here's, nice. here's, here's this thing. You're a part of the team. Thank you. I appreciate your help. Are you going to come up and watch the game? And because Charlie's an indentured servant, he says, no, I've got to stay here and work. I can't leave. Well, he can't leave because... Claire's up there, Mm -hmm. the Dean's Mm -hmm. up there, Mm -hmm. all his friends from his school. Like, he can't leave because he can't expose that he's... Yeah, he tells the doc. The doc leaves. The the doc's got to go. He's got shit to do. And he's like, Charlie, go watch the game. And he goes, I can't. Yeah, that's right. He says, I can't because half the people think that I'm a delinquent and half the people think I'm a genius. And, like, they, we can't have those two halves mixing. Yep. And then he says, I'm going to do some science while I'm down here. I'm going to science it up real hard. And the doc's like, science it up, my guy. Just be careful with the science equipment. Yeah. Just the most obvious foreshadowing you've ever heard in your entire life. Me just, just be careful with the, the, the proton accelerator. We've only got one of those. So and he fucks it up. So he fucks it up. Yeah. So obviously he so fucks obviously it up. It's really fucked. It begins. The downhill descent begins when Charlie's like, you know what? 
It's only five minutes. What could hurt? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Famous last line. Throws the clipboard down and heads back up to the rink. I did think in the in the kind of like Clark Kent Superman scene, I did think they've established that the lab is very cold because it's under the thing. They keep talking about it being like a, an icebox. I thought that him walking up in his glasses fogging was a very clever way for them to force him to like reveal himself as Chaz, right? Because I thought they could do the like, oh, he pushes his hair down, he has glasses and people don't recognize him, but they force him to take his glasses off by fogging the lenses. And I was like, that's actually very clever because you've established throughout the film that it's much colder down in the lab. And now you're paying that off with fog glasses that he has to take off. And the moment he does, his friends recognize Chaz. Yep. That agreed. I, yes, that was an incredible bit of, a bit of uh, plot development there. Yeah, his friends recognize Chaz, but then the dean recognizes Charlie, and somehow he gets pulled into the box with the players and the dean and, of course, Claire, yeah. because her dad's the coach. And Claire and her dad have this interaction where Claire's like, Dad, that's Chaz, the guy I've been telling you about. And the coach is like, no, that's Charlie. He's the genius. And this is when it all comes crashing down, quite literally. Because as Charlie is exposed as leading this double life through this altercation with Claire, we get a sense that the particle accelerator should not have been left on for this long and is starting to overheat. And as it does, the actual rink itself begins to snap and break. Which yeah, incredible structural damage is caused to this hockey arena, which will be fixed in the next three days. Yes. Also, Ugh. how long does it take to get off the ice? Because this all starts happening. And there are cracks, and there's like, it looks like lava. It's, I mean, it's like, there's cracks everywhere, and everybody's like, get off the ice, get off the ice. It takes them like two minutes to get everybody off the <laughs> ice, and I just felt like that was too long. Like, you're on skates. Like, skate away. You can go fast. But it's just like, I, again, I don't know anything about hockey, but I have seen enough where I know that they like, I've seen the movie Miracle. You know, and they tag in and out and somebody jumps off and somebody jumps on. It seems very quick. It seemed like it took them a long time to get off the ice. The ultimate goal of this is to show that a lot that Charlie has done, the work that he has done to create this double life comes crashing down. And along with that, we get the rink is ruined. They have to reschedule the game against Rumson. Then the Dean hears that as you didn't win. Looks like your job's in jeopardy, coach and bails, which is crazy because the conversation right before the dean hears this is like the game has been delayed it's literally playing on repeat over the pa not you lost northern lights it's that hey you just have to play again another day so the dean reacting that way makes no sense to me and we then get a montage of charlie going on his apology tour again where the fuck are his parents because at this point they need to be involved. He is enrolled in another school. He's almost murdered an entire arena of people by like irresponsibly leaving his fancy science machine. Where are his parents? Good question. I don't, I, I think they, their budget went to bouncy balls and microchips because what happened is they, this is how they explain that they have successfully a proven that a graviton exists we've gotten that now and sort of because charlie goes back to work with like with nothing happened like he didn't just almost murder a stadium of people mm -hmm. goes back yep. to work with dr Crickstein. they discover that the graviton particle is real not only that they then via 
another eureka moment realizing like if we split a graviton we can duplicate have things duplicate and move and so they do that through buying rubber bouncy balls and do a great scene where they show that they're moving in the same direction in different hands so by splitting a graviton in half this is all a setup for the cheating that has to happen down the road everything that we get in terms of these scientific discoveries is not for dr crickstein's side for the Nobel Prize, which I think is arguably the better solution. Sure. Charlie hears this as, I can fix all of my problems. They literally discover something that will allow the invention of like, you know, allow them to defy gravity. They, they make one of the most important scientific inventions in the history of man. And they say, and Charlie says, all right, I got, I got a bail doc. I, I got, I got to go to science class or something. I got to, like, I got to go meet my friends, which <laughs> leads the doc to say, Charlie, I just need you to know, you know, through all this, you're more than my assistant. You're my friend. And Charlie's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And leaves. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that thanks doc. But, uh, you know, like everyone else in your life, I don't want to be your friend. So I'm going to go. Oh, like, <laughs> no, he just bails. Right. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Doc. All right. I'm going to go talk to my actual friends now. Goodbye. It's uh, <laughs> poor Dr. Crickstein. Also, were you guys waiting for him to fix the ice with the machine from the beginning of the movie? No, but that is... Wow, I wasn't, but that would make a lot of sense. I was waiting for everyone to be mad that the ice was broken and him being like, I can fix it. Here's this machine I made. Intermachine from literally the established machine for smoothing ice. Yeah, I... I thought there that would have made there. a lot more sense. That's a fi- yeah. that's a that's a good adjustment to this script, Molly. Thank yeah. you. Your version of the script impeccable. In my script, he fixes it with that, and then he doesn't have to do the next thing to win his friends back, which is literally crazy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we get some great acting where Charlie goes to the the, the group ice hockey event, where he approaches them all in mass and is like, "I need your help." Please come help me. And they're like, nah, bro, fuck you. You lied to us. All turn around in unison, skate away. And then he goes, my name isn't Chaz. It's Charlie. And then in unison once more, they all whip back around. And him admitting his actual name is enough for them to accept his apology and go help him sabotage the Northern Light v. Rumson game. So what they do. Yep. To and they very blatantly say, We're not cheating, we're just avoiding Rumson from cheating. Yeah, we're gonna keep Rumson from cheating, we're gonna keep Rumson from cheating, and our boys will do the rest. And the way they do that is again, they've figured out that they've figured out some science where things will mimic each other, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. they stick like microchips Mm -hmm. with the split Mm -hmm. gravitons, yeah, onto the skates of the key Rumson players. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then Charlie and Claire wear skates with the partnered microchip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they have the other friends like doing video camera and activating the microchips. Mm -hmm. And then whatever Charlie and Claire do down in the science lab, the players from Rumson are then forced to do up top. Now, the way I understand the science, which is crazy, by the way, it should only be the one skate. 
That is correct. That is correct. So if if the microchip is on Charlie's left skate and the Rumson player's left skate, <laughs> only that skate should, should be move. mimicking. Correct. I I was I, I was ready for you to talk about like, well, it shouldn't be their arms. I wasn't ready for you to say it's only one skate, which is true, but I hadn't thought about that. Like I'm watching the scene and I'm like, well, why are their arms doing what they right. do? That doesn't make any sense. But you're absolutely right. It's it's only one skate. <laughs> Should be one leg, but yet they're doing everything their arms are doing. They're doing everything both legs are doing. At one point, for the visual gags, Claire and Charlie start dancing with each other, which of course means the two Rumsfeld players have to dance together. And it's hilarious. But like, if it you is about, hilarious. If you think about how it should actually have worked. It should have just been two grown-ass men just slammed against each other, unable oh, to fall. move, and they'd fall down. Which yeah. I, And then their legs would just keep moving independent of their bodies, which I think yeah. is just funnier, objectively. All I could think in this moment, okay, so one, you're absolutely right. They set this up as like, we're not going to cheat, we're just going to keep them from cheating. So they prevent the Rumson, the Rumson rack, right? They go for the rack, they prevent it, they allow the player to go by. If they had stopped there, then I'd be like, okay, you just prevented them from cheating. But then they do the whole dancing thing. And I'm like, well, this is cheating. So <laughs> that, that goes against what they just said. But then on top of that, all I could then think was like, they literally have two players dancing in the middle of the ice and you still can't score. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are two players that aren't playing and you're still struggling to score. <laughs> Not only that, but then a third player gets taken out when Dr. Crickstein comes in on skates Brink style with this helmet and his helmet locked pads on. And he now has the third, uh, because there were three players that are trying to take out, the third microchip on his skate, skates forward and slams into a pole. I want to read out an important line before we get to what's next. Mm -hmm. Dr. Crickstein is not on board with this at first. And he's like, Charlie, I'm drawing a line like that. You, we got to do science. And Charlie says, you can solve all the mysteries in the world. But what would it mean without friends? Oh, that's my right. God. Because again, we, Dr. Crickstein, are not friends. I just want to be really clear. I'm talking about we're my not friends. friends. Yeah, my I'm talking about these 13 year olds. They're my oh. friends. You, not my friend. Just want to be really clear. And it's that trauma that causes Doc to put on the skates. He can't skate and come wildly flapping in. And then he hits the machine? He hits a pole that has electrical wires wrapped around it, which causes the particle accelerator to short circuit, which then, I assume, and this is a stretch, flows into the pucks, and then they reverse gravity. For reasons. That's true. And, if and hockey players start flying. Which, why aren't we stopping the fucking <laughs> game? You've got three players floating All and I then and only then can the northern lights win by one <laughs> by one goal uh all I can say is someone call Adina because they are defying gravity. Oh my god. Nice. <laughs> nice. Thank you. And I just ah! I was just waiting for So if you can't find me. Like I was waiting for it, but then I realized I think that movie came out or that musical it, came out later. Later, yeah, yeah, that's right. But that's all I could think while they were up there. It's I, I, I was like, okay, if there's no, 
<laughs> Why did we stop the game, ref? You know, they, I gotta, no, they, I gotta they win. They start celebrating, and no one is acknowledging the three flying guys that are in the arena. I gotta say though, if the refs aren't paying attention to the guys flying on the ceiling, I understand why they could be fooled by the rumps and rack. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, it's well, true. And the last thing I'm gonna say about this with the anti gravity is we've already established that it should only affect the right foot of the players it's just and, dangle and so they should be dangling by their right foot and nothing else rather than floating through space and air as if they are swimming and weightless like it they, everybody should just be dangling but <laughs> from their foot we do get the nice no gravity kiss yeah between we do. charlie and claire we do we do and then we wrap our film by having everybody together on the ice of this shared hockey playing space and guess who's invited Everybody to play with these 13-year-olds. Dr. Crickstein, a, a mature man. And we have a sort of coming together of the jocks and the hockey team who are like, hey, we need some people to play against. And they're like, oh, we'll give you the ice. Nope. They want to play together. I Which would be a slaughter, by the way. I couldn't uh, help but think of what a baller status move that is by Charlie, though. Because if you were a 13-year-old kid playing hockey or whatever sport you want to play, and then the collegiate team comes to you and is like, can we play with you guys? That would be awesome yeah. so like that was a baller status move on charlie's part yeah he's a baller status move but like alan i had the thought of like how funny would it be if this movie <laughs> ended on the college team just fucking dumpstering these kids <laughs> like these literal children this collegiate team is like 35 to nothing like they just crush these literal children and you're like and that's the end of the movie like do you, do you think they could though they can't even score when that's right they can't even score when the other team's the floating sky. oh so, god maybe, maybe the kids as... just beat the shit out of the college team <laughs> maybe that coach should have been fired like i don't yeah, know to be fair claire's dad maybe should have been yeah. fired Claire, maybe your dad's just a bad coach. I, I got <laughs> to be honest here. Uh, and that's how genius ends with the group. Mike doesn't have a future. He's really, <laughs> definitely isn't going to be a hockey player. I'll tell you that. NHL is going to be a rude awakening oh, for this game. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really oh, bad for this man. man. Oh, yeah, so that's genius. One of the cringiest movies I've watched thus far. I don't know how both of you felt about it, but God, was it cringy. Uh, I am curious, however, as to what your ratings were for this movie. I'm going to give it a six. Whoa. Okay. Is that too high? No, why? why I, you know, I mean, it's your rating, yeah, your pal. Rating. What, 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 I, what's the rationale? I, I mean, it's insane. It's literally insane. But I enjoyed the insanity, I think. I'm a, Okay, five, five. Because... I mean, yeah, I don't mean to make you doubt by saying, whoa, like if you, if you think it's a six, you should give it a six. the opposite direction too. We could be like, wow, I'm going to give it a 10. You're not going to give it a 10. Um, <laughs> I, okay. You're unlike best movie. Unlike You Lucky Dog, which is also an insane movie, I did not enjoy watching You Lucky Dog. Like mm. I was like, couldn't wait for it to be over. This movie, mm. I actually was like, I laughed out loud a few times. Mm. I thought it was so ridiculous. Like, it's like one of those, like, it's so bad, it's almost good type scenarios. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I think it's above average, but I do not in any way think this is an actually good movie. I think this is slightly above average. I don't think it's great by any stretch. I actually, when I was first thinking about this, I think I'm going to give this a six just because it is above average. It's, I think for a lot of, for a lot of people, they might not think, have a better cringe tolerance than I do. 
the acting is okay. The delivery of the actors is not necessarily as bad as some things that we've ever seen. It's, it's, it's passable. And I think it knows what it wants to do as a movie, even if I don't necessarily love how all of it is executed. It's, you know, double life, lessons learned, genius in hockey, go team go, right? That's, that's like, it's a six. It's, it's okay. I'm not going to sit in a room and watch it if it comes back on, though. Okay. I think we've had a run of dis- decoms that I've enjoyed. We've had Smart House. We've had Xenon. We've had uh, 13th Year, um, which I, you know, have some nostalgia for. I, uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't wait for this movie to be over. <laughs> I couldn't. I kept looking at the time being like, God, I still have 40 more minutes left of this film. <laughs> I was struggling to get through this movie. There were moments that made me laugh. Part of it just because of they're legitimately insane. Uh, the Claire snow globe monologue <laughs> does come to mind oh, and the delivery of our favorite hockey player. Um, but I was really having a hard time getting through this film. I found it to be boring and uh, and the writing to be really bad. I'm giving it a 4.4. Dang. Yeah, fair. Fair enough. Uh, I do want to share with you some of the IMDb reviews because you will all be surprised as I was to learn that a hefty percentage of the user reviews are tens. In I, fact, I think 80% of these reviews are tens and the others sit around the six range and we might have one too. But there was one that stood out to me. I just didn't know how to feel. It is a 10 out of 10 review rating. And the title of the review is Hottie Boy Charlie. Oh my Lord, I absolutely adore this movie. It was most excellent. Charlie Boyle is a beast. When I first saw it with my granddaughter, I was obsessed. I mean, it was so well-written, and the plot line was great. Much better than a lot of Disney movies I've seen, with the exception of Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century, and Brink, and Johnny Tsunami. I would recommend this movie for anyone who is considering to watch it. There's six G-coms out, and she names half of them. Yep. Uh, With the exception of this one, and Smart House, and 13th Year, and Under Wraps, and You Lucky Dog, and... Yep. Besides that. Besides that, the best. The best. It is a happy tale about a boy struggling to become a man at college at the age of 14. He learns that being cool is not the most important thing. Charlie's other person named Chaz is way hot with two T's with the exception of his hair and can skeletons dance. What? Two thumbs way up. I think a 13 year old wrote that. Also had to. When I first saw it with my granddaughter, I was obsessed. Never mind. (laughs) <laughs> Did we miss that at the beginning? I read this and then I continued. The I don't I love like, the. I, I don't it. love the grandma thinks Chaz is way hot. With <laughs> oh, the exception of his hair, not, not loving the grandma thinks Chaz is way hot. That I literally wrote that. I was like, I don't know, no, 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 no. I don't like that. Yeah, it's I, of all the reviews, the majority is just are like restating the, restating the. The plot of the film. This is the only one that I read that I was like, what is happening here? I am surprised by how positively this movie was received by a lot of the viewers. I think for me, it's just, it's meh. Right? It's not yeah, very mid, way. very mid film for me. Yeah. Well, with that glowing review, that was genius. What do we got up next on the docket? Don't look under the bed. Oh. Which I remember loving. So it's scary. I remember it being scary. If I remember correctly, the props team who did a lot of like the, the makeup work 
it was actually not bad in this, if I if I recall. I so scary. I remember it being scary. Is it scary? If you all enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and a review. Give us the like and follow us on all of the socials at Mammoth Club or Mammoth underscore Club. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you for Don't Look Under the Bed. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.